Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Pastor Brian Gibbs. Guys, I want you to really stand to your feet. Let's welcome the clients tonight. God bless you. Thanks so much. You can take a seat. Victory family, it's, it's always a delight and an honor to be with you all. And many of you know that we typically come here in the winter to escape. <laughs> that has not happened. But at least it's better than back in Virginia. I mean, we rarely, we're on the coast in Virginia, and we rarely get snow, but I think they've got about five or six inches right now. And so, uh, hey, 40 degrees isn't too bad compared. Anyway, it is, it is again, a delight to be down. We've um, been in Florida for about a week and a half. Um, she kind of had a chance to go to a retreat last weekend at a state park over in Orlando. There's a ministry we are privileged to minister at up in Bradenton called The Front that some of you are familiar with. And they have a, uh, a retreat, a camp, every uh, January out of Wakaba Springs State Park. And so they had a phenomenal time of ministry there, though they were in cabins that supposedly were heated. Supposedly being the operative word here. <laughs> But uh, they, they had a wonderful time, and, and it's great. We get to hang out in Florida for the next few weeks. Lord willing, we're preaching in Orlando next weekend, but we're going to see if we can arrange things to slip in uh, next Saturday when the board is here and, and have a chance to hang out. So we'll see if that works out. If we've not met you yet, just very quickly, Kim and I have been married coming up in May. We've been, we'll, we'll have been married 38 years in May, if you can imagine that. And uh, so it's been, been wonderful. And so married in 84, 86, began traveling and ministry by the grace of God. God's taken us to six continents and 40 some nations declaring the word of the Lord. It's been a phenomenal um, opportunity of ministry over the last couple of years as things have been shut down a lot with international travel. We've stayed busy online in Pakistan and Vietnam and different parts of the world. But we are excited to be in person and I was going to say unmasked, but that might cause problems. No, no, not here. Well, uh, and, and be able to just, you know, breathe the breath of God. Anyway. So. Uh, so over the last, uh, I, I think we got to hang out with you guys in July, not in ministry, but we were down here for a, a conference in Orlando and got to come and hang out and hear Brian preach. We rarely get to hear Pastor Brian. I, except for online. I mean, now with the torch. I mean, how many of you get those texts all the time? Yeah, I do too, and I'm glad. And um, so we, we appreciate the word of the Lord coming out. But we had a chance to come down and be with you guys. But um, we want to share some things that have been happening over the last year since we ministered here as a family and then go into the word of the Lord. I'm excited for what God has for us uh, today, um, tonight. I've been uh, preparing, praying over the last week, week and a half. And what's so exciting is the songs so match up with the word God's given me, things that have, have transpired. And so we are believing God for powerful things tonight. So first, though, um, Shekinah, why don't you share some of the things that have been going on? Shekinah is 20 years old now, been all over the world with us, traveling, ministering, prophesying. And she's seeing some neat things uh, begin to stir again in a fresh way, especially in the area of physical healing. Um, she's seen God heal people. I remember she was five years old. We were doing a camp meeting in Canada. And so we were under a tent praying for the sick. And we looked down and she kind of wasn't there. She normally was with us laying hands on people. In fact, a little, little joke here. 
Some of you know we could not have children for 17 years, and God gave us a miracle with Shekinah. Um, and so when we first started traveling and ministering, many childless couples wanted us and wanted Shekinah to pray for them for a miracle. So we had laid hands on a bunch of people for healing and for the touch of God. After our service, Kim or Shekinah walks up to us and said, so when are all those people going to have babies? She thought that was the only reason you laid hands on people was to have babies. So be careful if she lays hands on you tonight. <laughs> Anyway, she's seeing an increase in the healing touch of God. Um, this camp meeting we were doing, uh, she took off uh, under the, the inspiration of the Spirit of God, we guess, and started running through the tent, laying hands on sick people um, that were sitting in their seats. And instantly, three people, as this five-year-old little girl laid hands on them, were healed by the power of God. And, you know, it tells us that you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a, 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 you know, a master preacher. It just takes the faith of a child. And so, but uh, Shekinah has a neat testimony that happened, I think, in Louisiana back uh, a few months ago. So, sweetie. First of all, I want to say it's so great to be here. I'm expecting God to do amazing things today. And I love you guys so much. You have no idea. Um, well, one thing that the Lord put on my heart to share with y'all is a testimony from a few months ago. We were in Louisiana. And while we were there, we saw God work so many amazing miracles. And, and that's including the one I'm about to tell. So in the middle of a service, I felt the Lord tell me that there was someone there whose heart needed healing. But it wasn't just physical healing. It was emotional healing as well. Well, after service, a lovely couple came up and told me it was for them. You see, on the emotional side of things, this woman had lost her mom two weeks prior, and she was completely heartbroken because her mom and her were best friends. And then, a week after that, her granddaughter was brutally murdered. She felt that everything that she once knew was crumbling down from underneath her, that she couldn't cling on to anything. And on the physical side of things, her husband, who was also there, he said that his heart was only working at 20% capacity. The doctors had told him that he only had two years to live, and that's only if he stayed bedridden and didn't even lift a fork up to his mouth to eat. They were technically already breaking the rules to be there that night, but they felt that the Lord was telling them to go, so they obeyed him. Well, I prayed for them, and my heart truly went out to them. They were such a sweet, loving couple, but there was a darkness that just hung over them. There is a sadness that you could just tell. Well, fast forward a couple days. We were getting back into the car to go to the next place to preach when we got a call from a random number. It was this woman. She was half laughter and half tears. We could barely understand what she was saying, but the one thing that we could make out was that her husband was at the doctor, and the doctor had told him that his heart was completely healed. that oh no 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 his heart was actually working better than average the doctor's advice to him was you need to go get a gym membership so the rest of your body can catch up with your heart <laughs> right and you know if you take anything from this testimony that I just told take this to heart God knows 
every struggle that you're going through. God knows every trial, every burden on your heart, even the hidden things that you don't even talk about, those little scars. He knows all of those things. And God is walking with you through all of those things. He knows it. And I believe that you should take a step of faith and believe that your testimony is on the way. And there's actually um, a couple verses that God laid on my heart to share with y'all. And that's Luke 18, 27. Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then second, the um, second verse I had is Acts 3, 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So I want you, I want to challenge y'all. I'm going to challenge y'all to take a step of faith and believe that God's testimony for you is on the way. You're on the brink of your testimony. Oh, I can't even describe how good it is to be here. I tell you, we look so forward to being with y'all. Y'all are family to us. And there's very few places in the world that we actually, I'm not, I just don't tell every congregation we go to that. I mean, it is really true. We're family here. And in fact, I haven't been able to minister since about mid-December. This is my first service because we all got COVID. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And so I have been too weak and all the stuff. But this morning, I woke up in Orlando, and I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, as they say. I sat up in bed and said, yes, we're going to our family tonight, and I'm going to be there. This is the first day that I've actually really, really felt good for over a month. And I woke up this morning, and I knew things were different. And I had been so excited about being here. In fact, I was texting with a friend back home, and she was telling me all about their snow up there. And, and she, was telling me, she was telling me all these things. Oh, isn't it wonderful you get to go there? And I said, you know what, Pam? I think the reason that I feel extremely well right now is because I'm so excited about what God is going to do with our family tonight. And I mean, I'm telling you that sincerely. I've been like a little kid in a candy shop all day. It's been so cool. In fact, um, as we were riding along from Orlando here today, I was in my side of the car and I heard God's, I've heard God's audible voice. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was really loud. How many of y'all have heard God and it's maybe not audible, but it's so loud, you know that God has just spoken to you. But he spoke one word and one word alone. He said, joy. I believe God has a new level of joy for me and for all of you here. I don't know how that's going to look tonight, but God says, joy, 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 joy. And it's going to be an awesome thing. It is going to be an awesome thing. Well, oh, so many things I could tell you, but I know Russ will get fussing at me if I start up here too long. So, um. I tell you what, I'm going to tell you something that happened, actually. It actually, we were here, I believe it was maybe July, I don't know, we slipped into the service because we just, we were missing you guys, and we were able to work it out since we didn't have to minister for a few hours until Sunday. We slipped down here, and we came into a service that Brian was preaching. 
And I actually was praying on our trip down in July and saying, Lord, I need a confirmation of what you just spoke to me back at our home in Virginia. See, something very, very unusual happened. I was in bed in my home in Virginia, and I've had angelic encounters, but I've never had one like this. All of a sudden, I was wide awake on my side of the bed. Russ was sound asleep, and all of a sudden, four angels appeared by my side of the bed. Four angels. They were giant and they were, they were so bright, I put my hand up like this because they were so bright, it hurt my eyes. But what was so interesting about this encounter was this. I didn't freak out and jump out of bed and run under the bed. I didn't do that. I didn't just put little covers over my head, shaking and trembling. You know, I have had angelic encounters where I have responded somewhat like that. Because it is a pretty fearful thing at times when you have something like that happen. But this time was different. Four giant angels all in white shining so brightly I had to cover my eyes are there beside my bed. And they are worshiping like, I mean, they are worshiping like they're right around the throne right then. And I mean, when they started worshiping like that, I started worshiping right along with them. I can't describe exactly what happened, but all of a sudden I was like, oh, Jesus, I love you so, so much. The only time I have ever had an encounter to that extent where it felt like I was in the very throne room was in May of 1989, the only time I've ever been caught to heaven. And I was in heaven in May of 1989, and that's a whole other story. But this was very similar, that feeling in my chest, oh, Jesus, I've got to see you. Oh, Lord, I love you so much. And the angels are just praising right next to me. And I mean, so we're, the, we're all doing it together. I don't know why there were four angels. I don't know. And I don't know why they were so big. I don't know. But I know that they were worshiping and every cell in my whole body was crying out, I love you, Jesus. And as I am just worshiping along with the four angels, now one of them spoke, or all four of them together, I can't tell you, but the words that I heard from all four of them or one of them was this. Get your house in order. Then they were gone. And I'm laying there in bed, and that's when I started shaking. I'm thinking, what does that mean? Get your house in order. I don't think we've still wrapped our whole hearts and minds around it. I think there's many aspects of it that maybe God's going to reveal real soon to us. But now getting back to when we were here a few months ago, when we slipped into service, since we didn't have to minister till Sunday morning somewhere, we slipped into your Saturday night service just to be here because we miss you guys, your family. And on the drive here from Orlando here, I had prayed this silent prayer. Now, Russ and Shekinah knew about the angelic encounter, but they didn't quite grasp it, I don't think, quite as much as I did. When you experience, it's hard to even put into words what actually happened. Well, so I pray silently on my side of the car, coming here, and I said, Lord, 
I know you spoke to me. I know you sent those four angels for a purpose. And I'm talking, we're not talking about a vision. We're talking about my eyes wide open and they're standing there. And um, I said, but Lord, I said, right now, I don't understand it at all. And I would ask you, when we go into this service tonight, I'm not going to tell anybody about what happened here, but when I walk into that service, Lord, have something happen in this service that is a confirmation of what you have been speaking to me through the four angels the other day. I need a confirmation, Lord. I don't know why, but I just really need it, Lord. I don't know if you ever prayed that before. I needed something. And I think it was because it was just so big, somehow so big, and I didn't understand. And so we come into the service, and I'm sitting there in our seats, and um, Brian gets up, and he is burning on fire with the Holy Ghost. He is preaching, and I mean, he says, the Lord has been just doing something in me. He starts preaching, and then all of a sudden, he just stops, and then he looks out there, and he goes, get your house in order. And both Russ and Shekinah just turned and just stared at me with their mouths dropped open. Get your house in order. The exact words that the angel spoke a few days prior. I don't know if that means that we are connected somehow to this body. Get your house in order. I don't know if, you know, we actually had friends just the other day. They felt God laid on their heart that they were supposed to build a closet in our bedroom. We didn't have a closet in our bedroom. That sounds weird. But in Virginia, and you cannot sell a house as a bedroom, that, that room as a bedroom. You can't list it as a bedroom unless it has a closet. And all of a sudden our friends are going, you know what? God spoke to us. We're supposed to build you a closet. And so I'm wondering, okay, is God setting it up so we can actually sell? Sell our house? I don't know exactly what God... See, the thing is, I can't tell you exactly what that means. Get your house in order. But I feel very strongly that it's a word. Maybe it's a word also to the whole church. Get your house in order. God is up to something so big right now, and we don't understand it. And God says, stop playing around. Get your house in order and see what I'm going to do. God's going to do something big. Amen. Get your house in order. Grab your Bibles, if you would. Turn to Matthew. If you would, Matthew. Let me pull it up here. Matthew chapter 26. So um, how many of you noticed my shirt? Look at this. Okay. Now, this was a Christmas present. And so when I opened the Christmas present and we looked at the shirt, the first thing out of all three of our mouths was, Brian. We, I had to wear this in honor of Pastor Brian. We're part of the pride, right? <laughs> anyway. Two weeks ago, I was preaching in a village in Pakistan by Skype. Over the last few months, God has graciously connected us with a TV ministry based in Lahore, Pakistan. And um, it's King TV. They reach into a hundred of some nations, potential audience of, you know, multiple tens of millions. But uh, over the last few months, I've been doing some pastor's conferences, some TV shows, uh, some different types of things. And two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to buy Skype to preach the simple gospel message of salvation 
to a village that had not, at least in the last many years, had a presentation of Jesus. And so I had about 15 minutes to share with them, then about 15 minutes to pray, to lead them in a sinner's prayer, to pray over the sick and for the freedom of God. I'm still waiting to hear back the reports of all that God did. But the message God had put on my heart to share that day was a very simple message from a story, a parable that Jesus gave called the Pearl of Great Price. You remember that story? Where a merchant, a businessman, had been on a treasure hunt for fine pearls. And he found a field that had a buried fine pearl. Now, I know that pearls are typically in oysters in the sea, but hey, it's Jesus' story. I'll let you figure that out. But he found a pearl buried in the land, but the land did not belong to him. So this businessman, this merchant, he went away and sold everything he had so he could purchase that field because he realized nothing that he owned, nothing that he had compared at all to the value of that pearl. And that pearl is Jesus. It's the kingdom of God. His forgiveness is eternal life. It's peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost. But over the last couple of weeks, as I have contemplated that message again, and I don't know how you've been in your walk with God, but I find that every once in a while, God will stir me to count again the cost of what I'm willing to lay down to know Him. I'm about six weeks seven weeks from turning 59. Still young, right? I read something the other day, you know, it's on Facebook, so, you know, whether you got to believe it or not. But it said that the most productive decade in your life anymore is your 60s, the second is your 70s, and the third is your 50s. So we're just coming into our, our glory. You'll get there, youngsters. But I found this, that having served the Lord for a lot of years, there are times that I have in the spirit to take accounting of my own life. Am I going through the motions? Have I lost the edge of the passion and the fire? Am I willing to sell everything and lay down at the feet of Jesus? And so as I've contemplated this over the last couple of weeks since preaching by Skype in Pakistan, it led me to the story in Matthew 26. This was so neat. Cor, um, uh, Cody and, and the team began leading us a song about the alabaster jar perfume. And I went up to him and said, did you know what I was going to preach? I love how the Holy Spirit orchestrates these things. Verse 6 says this. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to Jesus with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So I want to take a few minutes and look at the story, and I want to share with you a visionary, that's what I'm looking for, a visionary experience that I've been walking in for the last week. 
It started Saturday, Saturday morning, a week ago, hearing uh, Apostle Ken Malone speak. But um, you see Jesus. Now, this, this story, in some form or another, is told on all four Gospels. And there are different aspects of that change depending on which version you read. It may be poured on his head. It may be the uh, perfume poured on his feet and wiped with the, the woman's tears. The scripture is not clear on which woman it is, so different people have different opinions and, and ideas and uh, beliefs about who it is. Some say it was Mary Magdalene, the woman who Jesus delivered, cast demons out of. Some say it was Mary, the sister of Lazarus and, and, and Martha, the one who uh, would sit at Jesus' feet and not busy herself about doing just the work of the kingdom, but she wanted to spend time with the king. Whichever woman it was, and whether these are all the same experience, whether there's two or three different experiences where a woman came and anointed Jesus, we don't know that theologically exactly. But I want to focus on more the message of the story than the particulars of the story. Jesus was in Bethany at this particular time. Bethany, in Hebrew, can mean several things. It can mean house of welcome. It was a place where Jesus was welcome. I mean, you know, we want to be a place where his presence, that's part of the name and identity of this house, is we want to be a house, not only our gathering, but the house of our heart to be a place of his presence where he is welcome in. So we have a spirit of Bethany to welcome the presence of Jesus. But Bethany can also mean the house of affliction, the house of trouble. We've understood and most of us have served God long enough to find that even when his presence is with us, it doesn't mean that we don't experience trouble. But it does mean in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the trouble and the struggle and the confusion that we have his presence with us to not only walk through the battle with us, but to bring us out the other side as more than conquerors. So in the place of welcome, in the place of affliction, this is actually during the time of the Passover. And what is happening is the Jewish leaders are plotting at this time for a way to arrest Jesus. We live in the midst of a time, a season, and a culture where the world and everybody energized by demonic powers, be it in government, in business, even in the religious world, are doing everything they can to find a way to trick and trip up and silence the church. So we are in a place where we are welcome in the presence of God. We're walking through the afflictions of life. The leaders around us are doing everything they can to plot against Jesus. And in the midst of this, a woman, whether it's woman delivered from prostitution and demons cast out of her, or whether it's a woman who is after the heart of God from the get-go, how many of you know that can describe, both of those can describe many of us in this room, all the extremes. But she was so motivated by love and by passion, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. We know the story. It's not going to take a long time on this. But see, alabaster was a marble-like type of stone. And this marble-like type of stone, a very precious, a very costly stone, would be fashioned into a perfume bottle. But what was interesting is when they would fill it with perfume, and they would not use an expensive alabaster jar to carry a cheap perfume. It was a perfume, this scripture says, that was worth 
a year's wages. So costly perfume and a costly container. We understand that we are the container, correct? The perfume is him. But sometimes we forget it's not just the perfume that is valuable. It's you and I that are valuable to him. God redeems what the enemy calls trash, what the enemy in the world, and sometimes our own spirit, our own soul, says it's a throwaway, it's trash, it's nothing, it's, it's worthless. But God sees something of redeeming value, not just to be a, 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 a vessel of, of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, not honor, a vessel that just gets by, but he sees you, you a vessel of honor, a vessel of pricelessness. And then by his spirit, he fills you and I with the perfume, the fragrance of his presence. For we are a fragrance of life to those who are dying. But these alabaster jars of perfume, they would be sealed. And they couldn't open it up, take a little of the perfume and then seal it back. The only way to get to the costly, fragrant perfume was to break the seal, to break the bottle, to waste it as it were. And they could not use the perfume again later. It all had to be used at one time. In other words, when she decided to give a sacrifice of her love and her passion and devotion to Jesus, it was not, I'll give a little now and I'll pray and think about giving a little more later. And a little more later, it was all or nothing. And that's the kind of sacrifice, the kind of presence, the praise, the kind of devotion that Jesus deserves from us. So she took and broke the alabaster jar. She poured it upon him. The fragrance filled the entire house. There is coming such a fragrance of the person of Jesus his purity, his goodness, his holiness, his love, his power. His summon coming such a fragrance of Jesus that will fill the entire world. And the world will be covered with the knowledge of his glory. But it's come, going to come through a church that are willing to sacrifice everything, to sell everything for the pearl of great price. So she broke the seal. She poured it on Jesus. And the disciples... The religious leaders, those who'd been with Jesus, they were offended and incensed and enraged at this expression of extravagant devotion. Understand something about the spirit of religion. It will always sound noble and good because what did they say? It could have been sold and the money given to the poor. That sounds noble, doesn't it? In fact, doesn't the scripture say pure religion and undefiled is to take care of the widow and the orphan? It's biblical, it's godly, it's good to give to the poor and those in need. And so religion will say, you don't need to be so extreme and extravagant, Victory Church. Just help people in need. Pay people's bills. Feed, their, you know, feed them when they don't have something to eat. You know, help them pay their rent when they need it. All those things are good, but quit being so extravagant. Why do you have an hour and a half long worship? Why do you wave banners? Why do you jump up and down? Why do you talk about God's bringing a great awakening to America again? Can't you back off a little bit and just be good Christians? But see, that's the spirit of religion. And this is, I, I'm not going to go deep into this next section, but Jesus said something that is difficult to get our mind around. He said, you're always going to have the poor with you and you can take care of them anytime. Right now, you need to pour yourself out for me. 
We all know we need to take care of those in need. But see, our culture thinks that's the only thing we're good for. Help people in need and keep your mouth shut. But God, Jesus in this is saying, take care of the poor that's needed. But there's something even greater than just taking care of the poor. And that's wasting ourselves for him. An extravagant praise and devotion. And it was right after this that Judas went and agreed to betray Jesus. I believe that one of the things that's going to motivate those who are going to bring the ultimate betrayal to the church of Jesus Christ is going to be because of the rise of an extravagant church. They will not be able to stay in the hidden corners of power and influence. They will be shown, they will be brought forward as the church arises in extravagant devotion. So, what was it that motivated this woman, whoever she might be, to pour herself out? I wrote a phrase. Let me get back to it so that I'll remember it. She said, or I said this, pure passion led to extravagant expression. It's going to take a heart of flame with love from God. We are living in ex- extreme, extravagant times. Isaiah chapter 60. Again, we're not going to take a long time on this. I want to get to the vision and the application. In Isaiah chapter 60, there's a prophecy. It says, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. We love that part of it. But then that prophecy goes on to say, look, darkness is over the earth. Thick darkness is over the people, but my glory rises upon you. Kings will come to your brightness and nations to your dawn. And all Growing up, I remember people would talk about the last days, the end times. I was born in 1963. I was a young person, a teenager in the 1970s and the symbols of God. And I remember um, a lot of talk about the end times. Back in our Assemblies of God youth group back in the 70s, we'd have something we'd call rapture drill. And so somebody would yell in youth group, rapture drill, and we'd all jump up and, you know, jump as high as we could practicing for the rapture. It was the 70s. What do you do? <laughs> there was a book became popular called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. There were Billy Graham's movies, uh, Thief in the Night. Anybody remember coming home? Maybe you're old enough to remember coming home from school or something, and you, don't, you can't find mom, and you're scared you missed the rapture? <laughs> I remember I went to, I may have told this story here. I'm going to shorten it a little bit. When I was nine years old, we were in the Baptist church right before I got filled with the Spirit. We went into the Assemblies of God, and um, I went to a Baptist kids camp. And never set this campground up. They just went right in the head. They built the boys' dorms over here, the bathrooms and showers over here, and right in the middle was a graveyard. So why don't you imagine, in the middle of the night, if we need to use the bathroom, we need to walk to a cemetery. <laughs> Eight, nine, ten-year-old boys. And then our, our counselor was even sicker. For devotions every night, he would read to us out of the book of Revelation. So I mean, every night we're hearing about 666 and the Antichrist and and all this. So one night he's reading to us about all this, you know, getting your head cut off and, and all this stuff. And so he, uh, he turned off the lights and he was going to his room, which there was a door between. And as he shut off the lights and closed his door, he said, good night. 
He waited about 10 minutes and snuck around to the window right next to our bunk beds. Started banging on the window, screaming bloody murder. We thought the Antichrist had come to get us. And they just said this way. We didn't need to go to the bathrooms that night. <laughs> yeah, something was scared out of us. We'll just leave it there. So growing up, the, the last days, the end times, the return of Jesus seemed to be focused on the Antichrist, on evil and darkness. And so that's what I heard for years. And as a street preacher in my teens, you know, New York, Chicago, L.A., uh, you know, Mardi Gras, Indy 500, carrying a 10-foot cross and all that stuff, I used the fear of the return of Christ and all the, the trouble that's coming on the earth to try to scare people into the sinner's prayer. So anyway, Kim and I began traveling in 1986 and got introduced to the modern-day prophetic movement, apostolic movement, started learning about the kingdom of God, the glory of God, His glory covering the earth, and all these other things. And we started hearing and believing that there could yet be an awakening. The end of time doesn't have to be about Antichrist. It can be about Jesus Christ. But what I'm understanding is this. It's going to take more than a bunch of passive observers to make it and survive through the end times. Look, I got a gun, I've got knives, I've got food, but my trust is not in my storehouse. It's in Jesus. I'm not trying, to, I'm not planning on surviving the next years until Jesus returns. But I'm planning on thriving, not just for myself, personally, and my family, but so I can be free to bring his presence into my spheres of influence and culture. So even though darkness is around, God's glory is rising upon us. One of our mentors, a guy named Bob Jones, many years ago, he said that the days coming upon us are going to be like uh, the introduction to that book, the classic novel, Tale of Two Cities. You remember how it started out? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. We are coming into that season. Here's what I believe. What I felt the Lord dropped in my spirit years ago. I felt the Lord say, you're entering into the season of harvest of every seed that's been planted in human history. What I felt in my spirit was that every seed of prayer, every seed of intercession, every prophetic declaration, every apostolic decree, every drop of blood of the martyrs through the millennia are about to coalesce into the greatest expression of the glory of God in history. But hear me. Every curse every sin, every infraction of the rules of God, the character of Christ is also coalescing. And I believe the greatest clash of the ages is right in front of us. We're on the precipice. You talked about the ready room. We are being made ready for that season. And I found that most sinners don't have to be convinced to be extravagant for their sins. Most sinners, they party hardy. Many times, though, it's Christians who want a nice, a lazy, uh, a comfortable way of life. 
I don't know how you've been over the last two years. The other day, we were in, uh, over in Orlando, and we were in line, I think, at a McDonald's. I had a free caramel frappe, okay? So, Shekinah and I were going through there after going to the Disney Character Warehouse. And, um, it took forever for them to take the order. I'm sitting there, and I, I'm getting upset. I'm not cussing. I'm not yelling, but I'm getting frustrated. You know, maybe I'm the male version of a Karen. I don't know. You know, but I, I uh, whatever that is anymore. I, but here's, here's what hit me. We are so addicted to comfort and convenience in our nation. Look, I've got my opinions on the workforce. I, you know, that's not where I'm going with this. We're addicted to comfort and convenience as the American church. We, maybe you all others, have had opportunity to go to places where they really have to suffer for the cause of Christ. I do believe there are powers trying to shut up the church and everything else, but when the American church are crying and screaming around about masks and some of those things, again, I'm not you know, trying to get into your politics in a negative way, but what, what's, what gets to me is when the church is whining and crying and making a big deal about a little thing when there are people that are giving their lives to the cause of Christ. Now, I do understand, we start with the small so they don't get a foothold. I understand that. But this is not persecution the way much of the world knows it. So there's got to be an extreme extravagance in the church. So let me segue and come to a core of the message. Saturday morning last week, I um, went to hang out with Shekinah and the, the young people of the front. Because Ken Malone, a good friend of pastors and I think one of the main apostles, right, of, of Florida, one of the apostolic voices here and fathers of the, the, the state. And I got to uh, listen to what was going on, but it was during worship that God opened my eyes and I saw a vision. What I saw, I saw the heart of God and a door opened and an invitation was issued for me to enter into the heart of God. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, this is an invitation to the adventure of discovery. And so as I entered in, I recognized the door is Jesus. The door to the heart of God is not how much we pray, how much we fast, how holy we are. All those things are good. But the doorway is Jesus. My guide was the Holy Spirit. God's heart was limitless. Once I entered in, I could not see the end of his heart. And you can talk about many things in the heart of God. You can talk about discovering his love. His love for us. His love that is passionate, that is never ending. His love that sees us different than how we see ourselves. His love that empowers us, us the, the love that we're called to as we were in worship. One of you began to sing, I'm after your heart. I'm after your heart. I believe that was the song of the bride. It's a prophetic anointing for the song of the bride to the bridegroom to be released for us to catch a hold of and begin singing it along. As Pastor Brian was saying, sing the song of sweetness in your heart. We are attempting that, and many of you are stepping out. But I want to encourage you and challenge you. Go further than you are in that. Because you are the bride of Christ and there's a song being given birth in your heart from the heart of passion of the bride to the bridegroom. I'm after your heart. 
And so as we enter in, I was reminded in, in this vision of Daniel eleven thirty two: they that know their God will be strong and do exploits. How many of you want to be strong in the Lord, do exploits for God? That promise is to those that know God. In the Hebrew, it's the word yada, Y-A-D-A-H. It's the same word used in Genesis where it says, Adam, yada, his wife, and she conceived and bare a son. You see, knowing God is not theological or head knowledge. I'm not against theology, but it is a heart knowledge. It is something deep. It goes beyond your understanding. It goes beyond your thinking. It is the soul connecting with the soul or heart of God. And we are invited into that place of intimacy with him. You can discover in the heart of God the joy of the Lord that Kim was talking about. The peace that passes understanding. You were talking about faith. One of my scriptures written down here is in Galatians where it says faith works by love. If you want to see the kind of faith that produces miracles, it's going to take the love of God for the hurting and the broken. Some of you maybe heard of a man named Mahesh Chavda. Wonderful uh, Indian minister. I think he's in Charlotte, North Carolina now. He wrote a book called Only Love Can Make a Miracle. The details are resurrection from the dead that he saw God perform, but it came out of his heart of passion and compassion. God's been teaching me this through the years because for years I loved truth, but I didn't really like people too much. And through my wife, through my daughter, through life and God working in my heart, he's given me love for people and truth. Back when I was in my 20s, I went to New York City, worked with Teen Challenge for two weeks. And as we were out on the streets of New York City preaching, um, there were about 50 of us. And uh, one of, it wasn't David Wilkerson, but one of the uh, speakers with Teen Challenge was on a, a, a platform, a small platform at a park. He was preaching. And as he did, a demonized woman came to the front. And she began to splay herself out like Jesus on the cross and then just began to get very vulgar and vile. It did not take a lot of discernment to recognize she was demonized. So the team gathered around her. And I'm a 22, 23-year-old kid just, you know, learning this stuff. I wasn't one of the leaders, but we're praying. And you know how it is when you get radical, um, you know, street preachers uh, around demonized people. They're screaming, they're hollering, they're yelling in tongues, they're pleading the blood, they're declaring the name, and all those things are good. But as we're doing all of this, this woman goes around the circle. She gets in our face. She screams at us. She spits at us. She mocks Jesus in front of us. I'm standing there praying, but I'm also watching. And the Holy Spirit asked me a question or, or made a statement and then asked a question. It's not a statement of condemnation against the others. He was teaching me. He said, Russ, look at the team. They're angry at the devil, but where's their love for the woman? It's not a condemnation of anyone, but it was God teaching me it's not enough to hate the evil. I want you to hear me. It's not enough to hate the forces that are trying to bring America into bondage. It's not enough to hate the, 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 uh, the, the uh, strategies of the devil. It's not enough to hate the uh, demonic powers that are working in our government and our media and business and medicine. All It's not enough to hate these things. We must love. But that kind of love can only be born by God. I don't know about you. I have a hard time loving some of those people naturally. 
So I've got to say, God, would you give me your love? Because faith works by love. If you want faith to see an awakening in America, you've got to love America again. You've got to love God's purposes for our nation again. Three days ago, I was in a meeting, a conference in Orlando, and one of the speakers was Dave Reaver. Do any of you know who Dave Reaver is? Powerful man of God. He was a soldier, military during Vietnam. He had a phosphorus grenade next to his face. He was getting ready to throw it when a sniper's bullet penetrated his hand, hit the grenade, and blasted off. I think he said, he, I, in one moment of time, 60 pounds of his flesh was gone. Uh, just horrendous. And he told a story Wednesday morning. He said, a, another serviceman, a lieutenant colonel, who'd been the longest prisoner of war in Hanoi Hilton over there during Vietnam, said to Dave, he said, you loved America. That's why you went to fight. He said, but let me ask you, after suffering, after sacrificing, what do you feel about America today? And he said, the more I sacrifice, the greater my love. You see, it's not the comfort that causes us to fall in love with God's potential for our city, our nation, and the nations. It's when we're willing to sell out everything. We're willing to break the alabaster jar. We're willing to pour ourselves out. That's what will cause love to come aflame in our own hearts. So as I walk in to God's heart, I begin to see rooms. And I don't have time to describe everything to you. In fact, it's just continually unfolding during the course of the week. But as I walked into the heart of God, it's like there were rooms everywhere I went in the heart of God. And one of the first rooms I saw was the map room. As I walked in, there were folding maps, there were wall maps, there were GPSs. And I felt the Lord say, my church must know my heart if she wants my direction for the days ahead. So often, we just go to strategies without the heart of God. We just take surveys of what's happening in culture, what people's needs are, and all those things are fine. But if we want to know the direction of God, we've got to know the heart of God. So in the heart of God is the direction for the future. Another room I encountered in the heart of God was the treasury room. Don't you like it when Pastor Brian starts declaring that, that confession, jobs and new jobs, inheritances, all these other things. There is a storehouse of abundance. Our faith is not in government handouts. Our faith is not in the stock market. Our faith is not in Bitcoin. It's not in NFTs, which make no sense why people spend millions. Anyway, that's another topic. Our faith and our supply is in God. But why would God entrust us with the riches of this world if we don't have his heart to use those riches for his glory? In the heart of God is the treasure chest of the Lord, of everything that's needed to not only meet our need, but those that God has called us to. Another room in the heart of God was the mirror room. And as we walk, as I walked into the room, I noticed that I looked the best I'd ever looked and even better. 
When we got married, I was 150 pounds, 30 waist pants, 42 inch chest, tan, blonde, you know, all that stuff. I'm not quite there anymore. But in the heart of God, it wasn't just about physical appearance. Because what I saw was a son. What I saw in the mirror of God's heart was the identity I have in him. You see, our identity is set by so many things in our culture and even in the church world. By our gifting, by our ability, by our our, our notoriety, whatever it might be. But God sees you through the blood of Jesus. That means when he sees you and I, we are pure, we are holy, we are cleansed. We are not just tolerated, we are celebrated. We are not just trying to find a place at the table, but we are brought up to the head of the table. We are not just accepted as a servant, we're celebrated as sons and daughters. Psalm chapter 2. The father in time immemorial said to the son, today you become my son. Therefore, ask of me, and I will give you what? The nations for your inheritance. This is the phrase God dropped in my heart when I read that one time. He said, servants work for a wage, but sons receive an inheritance. We have the heart of a servant towards the Lord and one another, but my identity is not a servant. I'm a son. And as a son, as a daughter, I have the right To ask God for the inheritance of my nation. And the inheritance of my nation doesn't come because of my hard work. It comes because of my identity as a son and daughter. And so as you battle, as you contend for an awakening in the nations, an awakening in Sarasota, awakening in Florida and America, you need to approach it from a honest standpoint of the harder we fight, the louder we yell, the more hours we pray. I'm not against those things. Please don't mishear what I'm saying. But I'm saying it's not the actions that get you the, 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 uh, the, the prize. It's who you are. And so in the mirror room of his heart, Because the only way we can see ourselves as God sees us is through his heart of passion and compassion for us. There are multiple things. I'm going to come to a close and we're going to move into ministry. Then I saw a room. I don't know exactly what to call it. But when I went in, it was a room full of keys. There were big keys, small keys, ancient keys, new keys. There were digital keys like the hotel key card got in my pocket. There were keys of all kinds. And I began to say, Lord, what all is this? Now, we understand certain things. We know about the key of the house of David. We understand that praise and prayer brings an authority that opens the heavens. We understand some of these concepts. But I felt the Lord saying that the keys here Represented all these things, but also represented the authority God wants to release the church, but only for those who dive deep into his heart. A mutual friend of ours named Gary Klein, good friend. I've been all over the world with them for 10 years. They worked helping lead a prayer center in Jerusalem. They're back with Cletty, Keith, and, and Florence, Kentucky right now. But I remember Gary many years ago. 
saying, how, God, how can God trust us with his authority if we don't have his heart? Because we misuse that authority. And then several years ago, Rick Joyner, some of you know who Rick is, he uh, wrote an article, preached a message on the authority of the church. And he used an illustration that I love. He, he talked about police officers. And thank God for our police officers, right? There's such a battle against. Pray, pray for our police officers and their families. But Rick said this. He said, a police officer's anointing or gifting could be compared to their gun. Their, their weapon. It works no matter where they're at. He said, but their authority is their badge. She said, you could take a New York cop, put him in Chicago, his gun will still work, but his badge means nothing outside of his fear of authority. And he said, much of the church has been trying to get by on the power of our gifts. Kim and Shekinah and I have been all over the world, and we found whether we have relationship or not, whether we've been there or not, whether they respect us or not, the gifts of God work. People get healed and saved and prophesied to it, baptized in the Spirit and delivered from demons. Thank God for the gifts of God, the anointing of God. But... I've got to find, you need to find what is your sphere of authority. What has God trained and equipped and released you to do? And then Rick went on to say this. A police officer, anybody can go buy a gun. He said, but to get a badge, you've got to go to school. You've got to endure training. You must endure correction. You've got to learn the rules of the game. You need to have superiors that recognize that you have the ability, the call, and the sacrifice, the willingness to sacrifice to get that badge. And then you have leaders, teachers, they then bestow that badge upon you and that they say you are now an authority. And so when you go to your sphere of authority, you hold up that badge and even without your gun, there's a measure of authority that comes in that badge. So as I contemplated what Gary Klein said, what Rick Joyner said, I saw this room of keys. I felt the Lord saying, one of the things that's been missing from the American church is our heart for those that we're trying to release the authority of the Lord for. Let me say it like this. This is my opinion. You can disagree. Over the last two years, there have been a lot of prophetic pronouncements, apostolic decrees, and I love all those things. But from my perspective, I'm not saying it's God's. Again, I might be wrong. It felt like there was arrogance, hatred, and anger. I know righteous indignation. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But inside of my heart, I'm saying, God, where is the love that will release the authority? It's not enough to scream, holler, pronounce, proclaim, you know, decree, all those things. We've done that for decades, and we keep getting worse as a nation. I believe God is looking for a people that will dive deep to know his heart. If you want the keys to open heaven over your sphere of authority, it's found deep in the heart of God. And there were keys that will open the hearts of the lost.
keys that will open the White House, that will open the halls of government, the Supreme Court. It is the keys given to the people of God. Jesus has that authority, but he's released it to us. So let me close it all down. I could go on and on with multiple rooms. You were talking about the ready room. Man, I kept thinking, man, ready room that hit me. And not only the ready room getting ready for a service, what I saw when you said ready room, I saw the room where the bride's getting ready for her wedding. There's a place in the heart of God. The bride is being prepared. Make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I saw the communications room. Hearing God, so many things began to unfold. But I believe tonight the Lord is saying to us, dive deep into my heart. There's an invitation to the adventure of discovery. God's heart for you. His love for the church, his love for the lost, his love for you, his joy, his peace, his presence, his abundance, his, his direction, the answers of life, the healing, the deliverance of God, the identity as sons and daughters of the Lord. There's so many things that God is releasing to us, but it's also the keys of authority. Kim and Shkana and I have shared about you all to leaders in different parts of the nation and the world. Because you are a people of God, you are an ecclesia with a greater understanding. That's not just come out and meet once a week, but an authority as you gather together with the heart of God. So many other things we talk about. But there's a uniqueness upon you. Your pastors, yes, but by extension, this family. Most of you know this is not a typical church. It's not throwing stones at any other church. We all have different identities and different purposes. But I want to say to you as a friend of the house, I believe the key to your advancement in your authority for the nation, for the city, is going to be diving into the heart of God. If I can give you a year for a word for 2022, and please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say here, okay? Because I honor those that speak these different things. I personally don't get words from, uh, from the Lord about, you know, Hebrew years and months. I'm not against that. I just personally don't get that. I no longer get the rhyming things. I used to get, you know, going to be heaven in 97 through the gate in 98. And, you know, and, and, and for those that do, that's cool. I'm not, I'm, I'm not against that. That's just not what God's given me any longer. And, and again, I'm not better than. It's just different. <clears throat> if I can say anything to Victory Church for 2022... Discover the depths of the heart of God as never before this year. Because out of the heart of God is going to come everything that God is releasing you to. So here's what we're going to do. Because in a moment, Brian said he wants to receive the love offering. We appreciate that. We're going to have ministry up here. Before we do that, Kim, Shekinah, come join me. Brian and Brian Pastors, can you all come and stand right here, please, if you would. And can we get the... the key leadership of the house, I don't know if you call them elders or what you call but the key leadership of the house, can you come stand uh, with them, if you would? Would you stretch your hands toward them for a minute? Father, we say thank you for Brian, Brian, the leadership of this house, the family of God. Lord, those who are family to us, Lord, they've loved us for years, not only honoring, but Lord, loving us enough to love us through the ups and the downs, the, the good, bad, and ugly and of life and ministry. And Lord, we, we thank you for who they are. God, we pray that this would be a year 
of the depths of the heart of God like never before. The love of God for them that washes over them and as a house, as a family. But God made the love of God then propel them into, Lord, new seasons. Let me share a couple of things. Saturday last week, Ken Malone began speaking a word he felt from the Lord for 2022. And here's what he said. He said, we're coming full circle, but to a higher level. And he put up a picture of a spiral staircase. Sometimes it can feel like you're just going around in circles, but you're actually ascending higher. And so Ken Malone said, the year, word for this year one, is you're coming all the way back to the beginning, but you're going to be higher. There's a promotion that is coming from the Lord. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the Lord. Promotion, doors that no man can open and no man can close. I believe that this is the year and the season of open doors. I know you all are a decade behind us. 48, coming a year and a little to 50. And while I don't over overemphasize numbers and ages and something. I believe God speaks that way, but sometimes I think people just take it for granted and don't really listen to the Lord about it. But I believe there is an authority that you're moving into. You're going to taste a fresh authority in this year and few months as you come into that decade of the 50s where you're going to speak with the authority of a father and mother. You already do but it's going to be recognized. This is interesting. Um, This last week and even right before service, I was getting messages from several ministers asking for my input. Shekinah said, it's like you collect spiritual sons everywhere you go in the world. And here's what's interesting. It's what I felt the Lord saying. You have a spiritual family, but you're going to find multiple people in different parts of America and different parts of the world that are going to start looking to you as a spiritual father. Something we prophesied to you all years ago that came back to my heart and mind is you're going to have your own DNA. You're not taking somebody else's DNA to parent their family. Nothing wrong with that. But God had a different plan for you. It's not just going to be your sons and daughters here. It's not just going to be sons and daughters and your partners. You're going to see it begin to increase. And you're going to have men and women of influence, not just church people. And they're not just going to say, come preach for us, come prophesy. They're going to say, I need your heart. An apostle we work with in Canada, Ken Gill, teaches something that I use and I I speak this to you all. He said, there are going to be some people, they want your hand. They see what God has put in your hand. They see the favor, they see the authority, they see uh, abundance, and they're going to want your hand. And the Lord says, at times, give them your hand. They're going to some they want your head. You study, you learn, you know the history of revival in America and many other things. They're going to some that want your head, your knowledge. Give them the knowledge that can help them. But then Ken Gill says this, only some really want your heart and are willing to give their heart. 
I, I sense the Lord saying, son and daughter, as I increase the scope of your fathering, mothering, apostolic anointing, don't give your heart away to everybody that just wants your hand in your head. Bless those that you can bless. But there are heart connections coming where you're going to be in meetings of not just church leaders and not just sitting in a, a, a building, a Supreme Court, or a, 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 you know, like, like the last couple of years and some of these things. Those are good. But there are councils of fathers, fathers of spiritual, fathers of culture, fathers of God. I don't know if these things are happening yet, but you are going to have the invitation into places. You're not just going to be an observer and an intercessor. You're going to be invited in for the counsel of the Lord. But hear this. It's not just them. I mean, even though it flows from the head, the beard, down to the body. You, as God has connected you to this family, you're not just going to sit and watch God advance your leaders. You are going to become the ones releasing the counsel of the Lord in places of influence around you. And I've never seen this happen before. I've never seen anybody do it. I've never done it. When I was thinking during worship about keys, the Lord said, pull out your, your um, hotel key. Now, I'm not going to give you this. I want you to sneak in at 2 o'clock in the morning when we're sleeping. The Lord said it's an illustration. A key card from a hotel by itself can do nothing. It can open no doors until it is digitized, until it is programmed, and it will open whatever door it's programmed for. I felt the Lord say a few things. God's not trying to add a bunch of stuff and a bunch of anointings and a bunch of programs and a bunch of things to your church. He's already given you the key of who you are. Does that make sense? This is who victory is. You don't have to look like that key or that key or that key or that key because the key of who you are can be programmed to open any door that God is giving you. There are going to be keys to buildings. There are going to be keys given you into places of influence. This is for you all as well. And so I think what the Lord is saying is become very familiar with who you are. What is the key? What is the identity of this house? And then let God program you for the door that you are to open. Kim, Shekinah, please. I had a very interesting word for you guys. Um, I saw a door, and there was a bright light shining in this door. And I saw as Jesus, he put his arms around you guys, and he was guiding you towards this door, but you weren't rushing towards it. In fact, you're taking your own sweet time getting to this door. But um, I saw as Jesus slowly started nudging you and gently but lovingly nudged you towards the door and I saw as you finally stepped through this door and it was almost like you got transported to another dimension I believe God is going to be opening up new dimensions of his Holy Spirit new dimensions of his love in your life that you never even knew were possible to have those dimensions how many of you want to go higher in the Lord? Those dimensions 
come when we're willing to leave the comfort of where we are and go through the door of his heart, the door that God is opening you. And I kept praying for you guys. I have been looking so forward to this meeting, but the Lord was showing me some things even over the last week for you. And he says, tell them how much I love them. That may sound very simple and not real prophetic, but the Lord says this, don't ever lose sight of how much I love you. And at times it seems like different things, chaotic things here or there can kind of rob that a little bit because you're taking care of this and that, good stuff. But the Lord says, never forget how much I love you. And the Lord says, will I not cause even some of those dreams from long ago? And I was watching some dreams, and I'm talking long ago, long ago, many, many years ago. And the Lord says, I put them in your youthful hearts. But the Lord says, why I put them in your youthful hearts is because you needed to be grown and grown and matured to fruition so that it could bloom. When you're this age. Would you stand to your feet with us for a moment? Stretch your hands toward them. Shekana, would you uh, lay hands on Victoria? Uh, Victoria, and, and there is just, the, 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 and I know some, some practical things between you and Shekana that took place earlier in a positive sense, and the Lord, just, that, that doesn't all isn't being made uh, public, but it was uh, just a, a touch from God, a word from God to you, and the Lord says, I am going to show you the door that the key of your life was made for. Because you've wondered, is it that door, is it that door? And I know some of this in the natural, but I'm just hearing the Spirit of God say, I'm going to show you. You have the key. You just need to know which door it's for. The Lord's going to show you which door it was formed for, which door you were formed for. Because God has been making it just like a key in the natural. It's put into a grinder to get rid of everything that keeps that key from operating correctly. God has had you in the grinder of life, the grinder of ministry, the grinder of all these things. Not because of evil, but because he's getting rid of expectations of yourself and others. And he's perfectly formed you for the door he's bringing you to. So, Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for the leadership of this house. Lord, not only, God, for for Mark and Catherine, but God, for the fullness of this leadership. And, Lord, uh, the the light, the fire ministries, and all of these things. God, we thank you that the times and the seasons, and I don't understand all of this, but it's like the Lord says, um, just like in the natural, sometimes you can go through a drawer, you see a a key, you're like, man, what is that for? It's almost like the Lord says, I'm going to begin to reveal the keys that are forgotten to some of the anointings and promises of yesterday. So, Father, we thank you. Kim, please. One thing I want to tell this church and Brian and Bryn, I want to say this is, I don't think it was by accident that the Lord gave me the confirmation of get your house in order that I heard from four angels that it came through you get your house in order God says it is a message in your heart and I'm going to cause you to spread it near and wide and far you are going to say get your house in order God is going to give you words of direction and even some correction and you are going to speak it forth because get your house in order so that you're willing 
And you know what I see also is this, because God brought that message to me for four angels standing by my bedside. The Lord says there is an increase of angelic activity in this body. I don't know if you've experienced it. I believe even some of you are going to see, even with your physical eyes open. But God says this, you may not realize it, but your angelic cover in this place and throughout the members of this body have doubled. And you are going to see that I am opening up ways and things that you never even thought possible. The Lord says the angelic presence has greatly multiplied. Watch and see because I'm getting ready to take that message of get your house in order to see things come into order in God's kingdom. We're going to do a couple of things. Cody, we sang a song earlier about breaking the alabaster jar. In a moment, we're going to sing that. And as a congregation, I want us to offer ourselves, say yes to the invitation to the adventure of discovery of the heart of God. All right. Secondly, Kim didn't get a chance to share this when she first was giving the story of the angels. She was talking to a friend. And because Kim said when the angels appeared, it's like praise was being pulled out of Kim from every cell. And a friend said, well, angels are before the throne of God and they're worshiping consistently. They're always in his presence. So angels come from the presence of God. What is the key to seeing a release? We don't worship angels, but what is the key to the increase of the angelic release? It is his presence. It is his presence as we worship. So God, we thank you for victory. God, we thank you for this family. We thank you for the family of God. Lord, we pray that we would offer ourselves as a sacrifice. During prayer, Pastor Brian was telling us that phrase of the fire of God only falls on a sacrifice. So God, we sacrifice. Lord, it's not that we earn anything from you. But God, we pour ourselves out. We waste ourselves for Jesus. We will sell everything we have to go after the pearl of great price. We will be broken and poured out and spilled out for the glory and the honor and the fame of your name to know you, Jesus, and to make you known. And so, God, take this song, take the cry of our heart, take, Lord, the willingness of our sacrifice to be broken and spilled out. And Lord, may 2022 be a year of discovering and releasing as never before the heart of God. We're going to sing this song just uh, uh, shortly. Pastor's going to come. And then we would be honored to, along with the ministry team of the church, to stay up here for a little bit and pray. Prophesy of God gives something. But pray, whether it's healing, there's healing in the heart of God, deliverance, freedom, direction, encouragement. So it's been an honor to be with you all. We're going to stay here and continue to minister. Thank you for listening to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to our website at victoryfla.com or download the Victory FLA app.